Hello and welcome to the Digital Agenda Podcast. I'm your host, Louise Stokes, and in this new series, we will be exploring issues relating to technology in the modern world. Over the next six weeks, we will hear from industry experts with recordings from this year's Digital Agenda Power and Responsibility Summit. The insightful and thought-provoking discussions covered such diverse topics as data bias, the AI revolution, and profit for purpose. Welcome to episode one, 10 challenges and 10 ideas for change. Live from the summit stage, we'll be listening to a conversation between Rachel Neiman, Eva Applebaum and Jess Tyrrell as they delve into the movement towards humane tech, asking how responsible innovation can be made mainstream. Eva and Jess are co-authors of the Digital Agenda Power and Responsibility Summit Green Paper and are interviewed on stage by Strategy Director of Digital Agenda, Rachel Neiman. Without further ado, here is Rachel Neiman, live from the summit stage, interviewing Eva and Jess. So to kick off today's summit, we're going to look at what has changed since the inaugural Power and Responsibility Summit last year. Last month, we published our Power and Responsibility Green Paper, written by Eva Applebaum, co-founder of Art Group, and Jess Tyrrell, Director of Strategy at Beyond. This paper incorporates the views and wisdom of many who attended that first Digital Agenda Summit. In their preface to the report, Eva and Jess note the many initiatives towards making technology more responsible that have taken place over the past year, and consider how to ensure that this movement towards what they call humane tech matures and becomes mainstream. The paper is available on the Digital Agenda Summit website, and I really encourage you all to have a read. It's an absolutely insightful and excellent piece of work. So it gives me great pleasure to invite to the stage Eva Applebaum and Jess Tyrrell. So, Eva, good morning. Good morning. In the green paper, you talk about humane tech as the ultimate goal. But what is humane tech, and how do we make the case for it? Okay, so that is, I think, the, what would you say, the million-dollar question, Um, and probably the question that I hope by the end of today we'll have a better, a much better sense of. In the simplest sense, I mean, I think right now humane tech is more of a thought experiment than something that is totally definable. In the simplest sense, we're talking about a complete shift in how we think about technology and uh, the digital technology industry, innovation and so on, where we can start to think about design principles or even mental models about the industry that are more considerate or, or designed more around kind of public interest human needs that are taking into consideration, you know, human behavior and and respectful towards human behavior and respectful towards humanity, let's say. Um, I think, you know, we're all in this room now, I'm, I'm assuming we're all in this room now because we intuitively understand that this is, you know, that we believe in this somehow and that this is, uh, we know that this is not where we are today. We don't need to sort of reel off all of the issues that we're facing with the technology industry today. But let's say that at the core, um, we have a situation where 
technology is developed for itself. Um, innovation is happening because it can. And often the technology that we use as humans is designed in a way that is playing at our weaknesses or designed to manipulate our vulnerabilities. So you think if you can switch that to something that is, is mindful of our vulnerabilities, right, and is trying to design around that so that we're not kind of, it's not a race to the bottom in terms of our own behavior, then this is how I would define humane tech. So Jess has this image, she says, this has really haunted her. And I'm sure we've all seen this sort of thing where this is a visualization of a filter bubble or echo chamber. You know, the way that we're interacting on digital uh, media right now and digital technology is having real world consequences. And it's not just in terms of you know, the word that we're not supposed to say today that may or may not happen on the 31st of October, but it's, you know, in terms of hum human interactions, everything else, right, that we're increasingly polarized, maybe that we're not interacting as much with people who have different opinions, that we're, we're seeing a reduction in empathy in terms of how we engage with each other. And um, Tristan Harris, who set up the, the time well spent and then the Center for Humane Technology, um, talks about how humans are, it's, it's technology right now is actually sort of downgrading us. And Yaron Lenye, who I, you know, I think has been talking about this for decades now, really interesting kind of um, polemics that he puts forward, talks about how you can't have a society in which if two people wish to communicate, the only way that this can happen is if it's financed by a third person who wishes to manipulate them. And that is essentially where we are today. So humane tech, we intentionally sort of didn't put a definition in the paper because I think at this point in time there are a lot of smaller definitions there's a lot of trying to come to definition what we don't have yet is the big shared definition of this that we can all get behind and in our update we talk a lot about how what we would next like to see is something like the um, UN Sustainable Development Goals or the Paris Climate Accord something that everybody can go okay now we understand what it is and therefore we can start to move towards it. That's really that's really interesting. And I think that's also given us a very good um, introduction to a lot of the themes that we're going to be talking about in more detail today. And your point about being on a journey and the fact that we aren't yet in a position to uh, fully define what we mean is an interesting one, because I think, Jess, there have been major changes even since last year's summit. We may not be there yet, but there have been um, a lot of changes on this on this road towards humane tech since last year. How would you characterise the trends that we've seen over the past year? So it's been um, an interesting one, having written the paper about 15 months ago now. We started writing it, obviously in time for the summit last year, and then, and then we've done an update for this year, sort of looking back on what's happened. But we'll just show this because it's one of the ways that we thought is interesting to think about how the movement around humane tech may be growing and maturing and thinking about, well, what stage of that movement are we in? And I think we can say, okay, we've, we've had, or we're having a nascent emerging awareness, but that's moving forward now into a growing public awareness where actually we are now in the mainstream of what we call in the paper tech fear. So over dinner table conversations about screen time, it's almost like a, a day doesn't go past where there's some mention of this kind of thing in the news. So clearly we are mainstreaming this concern in the public consciousness. And one of the things we think about in the paper is, okay, if the evolution is to go from tech euphoria 
Victoria to tech fear through to humane tech? What does that look like and how is that achieved? And so uh, public consciousness, clearly there is growing understanding of what some of the issues are. And you might see that by um, things like uh, we looked at last year, the highest or the third highest searched news item in the UK was actually GDPR after the royal wedding and the royal baby. So you're like, okay, that's interesting. People, we care about this. And then, you know, other research that's come out this year. So there was a big uh, Pew Institute research paper that came out in April this year where they surveyed tech experts, but not just technologists, but um, social um, sector people and academics who have uh, an interest in tracking tech trends. A big proportion of them felt that technology is now set to do more harm than good in society. So uh, balancing out the, the good that happens through technology, being really concerned about the downsides and actually experts thinking the downsides are outweighing the good, which is a big change, I think, in terms of the way that we see things. And one of those experts actually typified it or characterised it as it's almost like a mutating virus where as we create solutions to some of the downsides, there are new products and services and digital platforms coming out, being invented that actually increase the downsides. And so it's a bit like cancer in that, you you know, it's very hard to mitigate the worst effects as, um, as other innovations sort of grow and, and take us deeper into it. The other things that we see, I think, are there's been big moves in regulation, though, this year. And I think we can typify this year as the, as the year that regulators really grew up and have started sharpening their teeth around this so you know last year we were talking about some of the naive responses to Mark Zuckerberg's uh, appearance whereas now we see things like in the US uh, Facebook have just been fined or this year were fined the biggest ever fine five billion dollars around privacy violations and also a response that regulators have instigated that the directors of Facebook are now personally liable for privacy decisions so that's a, a big step and um, we see this in Australia we see this in the UK so um, and in and in the EU in particular so Google uh, also fined their third billion dollar fine in the EU this year um, so lots of conversation about that and and Marguerite Vestager has just secured her next five-year uh, term uh, as the competition commissioner in the EU and what's really interesting about that, I think, is that regulators growing up, we, uh, she's going to be at the Web Summit in a few weeks' time. And that's really interesting because she's on the panel with technologists and with business leaders and there being a much better conversation from regulators about how to work together. That's a really good point. And actually, you've, you've mentioned some of the big tech companies and clearly regulation can't happen without um, a cross-sector approach. Here at Digital Agenda... Uh, we really encourage cross-sector collaboration as a way of creating real impact. It's not down to one particular sector to um, have all the answers or to make the difference. What do you both feel is the role of business in humane tech? And which businesses do you see as taking a lead? Well... I mean, the, the, as you said, I mean, we, it, you, we have to be real. You, the, no change is going to happen without businesses being active and willing participants in the change. You know, if all actors aren't kind of working together, we're not going to be able to define the problem. And especially because, you know, as Jess said, I mean, regulation can never keep up. So regulation is notoriously slow that you think 
what is that that graph that we see sometimes that technology changes at an exponential rate and regulation is like not even an, an, an analog rate. It's sort of like the slowest rate possible. So if there's not a kind of a collaboration, it's always going to be a catch-up game. Um, but also because you need a, you, you desperately need a kind of multidisciplinary approach to complex problems. You can't solve complex problems without looking at them systemically. And when you look at the system, there are lots of different people involved in that that need to be um, not hostage participants, but willing, engaged participants. In our paper, we talk about, um, you know, with a combination of sort of education, design and regulation, you may get to a point where you have a more humane approach to tech. This isn't going to happen without businesses. Now, the I think the problem that we have right now is that um, because we're in the midst of the kind of peak tech clash or tech fear, um, there's no trust right now with a lot of these businesses. And, you know, if let's be real, if we had some of the big, you know, won't name names, but if we had some of the big companies on the stage right now and they said, we're doing this, we're doing that, I think that there would be some titters in the in the audience sort of saying, yeah, right, you're doing it. Or, because I think that we're not necessarily feeling that there's going to be good faith participation in these things. And, you know, and also I think that there's some anger which we're going to have to also figure out how we get over so that we can collaborate in a productive way with these companies. Now, you asked about, you know, who's doing, who's been good at this, right? Well, I, I had to think about this, who you could hold up as sort of examples. And I thought that there were sort of two different versions of companies that maybe have avoided scandal or avoided the problems or companies who have designed themselves slightly differently. And Microsoft was an interesting one because here's a, here's a company that is actually one of the biggest tech companies still, um, which we don't hear about in vis-a-vis -vis these problems. And, um, uh, you know, thinking about it, I thought there's there's something about the kind of maturity of some of the, of even Apple, who positions themselves as a champion of privacy, you can think of that with some skepticism or not. I think the companies that have been around longer have a slightly more pragmatic and mature approach to these things. And Microsoft had their moment, you know, they had their moment of hubris. They were, you know, they were slapped down by regulators before and they learned 20 years ago, you know, that they're not solely in charge of their own destiny, that they actually have to play by different rules as well. There's been some really interesting things, I think, out of Microsoft in terms of just approaching it slightly differently and taking systemic approaches to how we're going to approach AI, thinking about calling for regulation for facial recognition mm. rather than having to respond to it. Salesforce is another one mm. um, where they were founded, I think, with much more values at the core from the beginning. Benioff, really interesting, the founder, very interesting um, uh, character, um, they set themselves up. They had this 1% fund that would go to social good. They've, they've kind of, with those values, I think that they've been able to take a more ethical and humane thing. But the third yeah. thing is, of course, that I think there's a different business model. And when you're talking about relying on licenses, it's yeah. different than when you're talking about you know, this sort of data or behavior modification through data. Of course. It's slightly different. Jess, do you have anything to add to that? I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's 
it needs to be a collaboration. And another thing that we put in the paper that's worth looking at is, I mean, this is our version of it. I'm sure most people in the audience would have seen, you know, other versions of this, but where does change actually happen? And of course, business is a massive part of that. And those businesses that are prepared to collaborate with regulators, you might say, have the chance of getting ahead of some of these issues better. Um, and I think it's a good thing to watch is just how they are, what the what kind of dialogue these big businesses are actually having with regulators as, as a sign um, as to how constructive they're trying to be about answering some of these questions. And you think the future is better for those that want to yeah. engage. And, um, you know, recently uh, the... Employee action is interesting as well because, you know, change can happen in companies when employees say we don't like the way that you're behaving. Um, and recently, uh, some employees leaked the audio of a two-hour Facebook internal meeting where Mark Zuckerberg was talking about the forthcoming regulation that he was anticipating and how they were going to fight it. And you look at it like that and you think, actually, that's very unhelpful. It's a very unhelpful stance to take where you might otherwise decide, well, how do we work together to solve it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Just, um, so one last thing I think um, we, we thought is important to mention is that when you talk about business being involved in this, we can't forget that there's a huge market opportunity and there's a huge yeah. opportunity for innovation. If you think about can you come up with propositions that are addressing our own um, reluctance, our own fear around technology, um, in, in terms of startups, in terms of new businesses, I mean, there's that is a area ripe for kind of um, investigating, yep. and therefore, why wouldn't businesses be getting involved in this? Right, here's a perfect kind of area of market to go into. Ab ab absolutely, I think that's really interesting, and actually, an allied point, and quite quickly because I see that we are coming to the to the end. Um, the paper actually talks about, and this is a good counterpoint to what we've just said. Um, the paper talks about the lack of consumer power in all of this. So is that a viable alternative to regulation? And if so, how do we harness it? So very quickly, Jess. Well, yeah, I mean, we looked at this as well in terms of the sites of power. So like, where does change come from? And we know if we look at other movements that change comes hugely from the way that consumers decide to behave. And looking at what's happened this last year we've thought it's notable how absent consumer power actually is when you compare it to things like the environmental movement so um you know we've seen lots on the environment um in this past year and when you think of changes that have happened around plastics you know straws and um other things or changes that have happened around uh, say eating you know the way that vegan um consciousness has really risen and come into consumer um decision making that that's not really happening in this humane tech movement. Um, it may be because it's so nascent and we haven't got there yet. Uh, it may be because people feel there's less purchase we can have on these big tech companies in order to change. But, you know, you could also... that There, there are obvious areas where this could occur, though. So you can imagine a future where... And, and already these um, solutions are being invented. So, for example, data wallets. You can imagine a future where um, it becomes normal for us to uh, each own a data wallet that controls our data and we can manage where that's used and how what, what permissions we give to it. So the stuff that Tim Berners-Lee is doing with MIT and, and others, um, very soon we would hope there'd be a market for these things that one can purchase and use and that would change the, the, the structure around data and and therefore influence privacy. Um, or you can imagine um, a competition for kind of screen time apps. Already we can see Apple developing their screen time thing, which 
was um, obviously a response to how popular those apps were beginning to be uh, on the App Store through other innovators. So um, I think that's a very positive area that we can look for change and also an area, as Eva said, that businesses can innovate around. Absolutely. Eva, anything to add to that? 30 seconds. But just that I think I would love to start to see in rooms like this, you know, we're still addicted to our devices, we're still on social media, we're still, you know, whilst also knowing that it's bad for us. And I would love to see the, the digital extinction rebellion or the digital plastic free or vegan movement as consumers you know we also have some power in this what is it that we're going to do how are we going to respond yeah. that's a very good uh, challenge it's all of our responsibility to do this final final question to both 25 seconds each Eva and Jess this time next year when we're all sitting here again what's the one single thing you want to see changed Jess well, for me, I think it would be great to see more international collaboration because there are brilliant things happening. Um, the Centre for Humane Technology we've mentioned, they're doing great things in, in Silicon Valley and it would be brilliant to see a chapter over here or us, us coordinate with them more. I, I think we're moving from the period of um, move fast and break things to work together and fix things. Brilliant. Eva? I'd love to have the definition, the, the internationally recognised definition, like the, the Charter of Human Rights for Humane Tech. And I would like to see the, the, the digital vegan, digital extinction rebellion movement started as consumers. What are we going to do about it? Those are my Fantastic. Please, big round of applause for Eva and Jeff. Well, that's it. Thanks to Rachel, Eva and Jess for such an insightful discussion. We look forward to next year's Power and Responsibility Summit to discuss how the movement towards humane tech has developed and matured in the next 12 months. Next week, the Digital Agenda podcast will be back with Purpose 2.0 from Nominet CEO Russell Howarth. Russell will be speaking about the responsibility of big business to make a positive impact on the world. Tune in to hear how to increase your company's purpose score and how this can be commercially beneficial. Make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast platform and we look forward to seeing you next week.